says, come, rivers of living water. He that scripture. For anybody that wasn't here last week, okay, well, you got the uh, CDs and the um, handout, yeah. I had those. Pardon me? We were upstairs? Right. Okay. Oh, well, I'll give you a handout for, um, it might just confuse you now. I guess I can give it to you anyway. But we went over what I believe to be, the, here, I'll pass it back, the parallel chapters in Revelation. And we dealt mainly with uh, chapter 8 and chapter 16, dealing with the wrath of God. Now, we're going to look at Great Tribulation, if you have your handout still, chapter 6, and then chap compare that to chapter, well, we're not really going to compare it to, to that, but in the chart last week, I was comparing that chapter 6 to chapter 12 and 13. And even though in dealing with the wrath of God, you can see the overlap very clearly in the scriptures that we read. Now, in this tonight, you won't see the overlap that you saw with the wrath of God, but remember that there's still, I believe, parallel chapters in that they're both talking about great tribulation. And the things mentioned in the chapters are different, there are some things that seem to, to move together, but as a whole, it's dealing with a great tribulation that you're not, you're not seeing the whole picture that God wants to show you in the one chapter. You see it in both, of course, that, what he's wanting to show, reveal. Now, what I'm going to do, this is going to be another class similar to last week. It's going to be uh, more of an outline type of a class, and as we go... I'll comment on some of the verses, and uh, we'll read them. Now, as you well know, in your study of the book of Revelation, that there's a lot going on here, uh, a lot that God's doing, a lot that's going on on earth, dealing with uh, mankind, with those who arise, uh, the Antichrist or whomever, uh, comes up and begins to affect certain things that, you know, affect everyone. Now, in chapter 6, I'll write these on the board. Chapter 6 here deals with the seven seals. And I guess we can, re we can read these because my page came out, so I just can grab a hold. See how convenient that is? Uh, we can read these and kind of look at those briefly. But all of you probably have heard of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Well, there are four, the first four seals of the seven seals in this chapter. Now, this chapter, once again, I'm not going to write it up here, but the seven seals deal with great tribulation not the wrath of God. And beginning in chapter 6, verse 1, the first one 
is a white horse. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, a noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see, or one of the four living creatures. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. So if you look at this uh, picture here, first of all, he says that uh, he rode upon a white horse, and white, if you look in other parts of Revelation and in, in the New Testament even, you will see that white, that particular color there, deals with heavenly things. For example, a white stone, you see that mentioned, you see the white throne, and so on. Now, you see also this um, one who is sitting on this white horse uh, has a bow, and in the Old Testament in particular, or even in New Testament times, the bow was considered a sign of power. So you see this one with power, and then a crown on his head, crown refers to victory. One of the things you see here in the end of verse 2, and you can write this down, that he went forth conquering and to conquer. So there is the, the triumph or the conquering that God wants done at this particular time to, to accomplish whatever he sets out here to bring forth upon the earth. The second one is a red horse. Verse 3. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out a horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat, up to, that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another, and that there should be given unto him a great sword. So it seems to me that this is talking about war, killing, etc., the second rider here is set forth to bring forth or to allow war to break out. Now, we know that there have been wars in the history of the world, or there always has been. But this being a seal, this being a time where tribulation is amplified, what we will see in the world will be a multiplication of everything that man has known. For example, war as, as one example. And the Lord is going to do this. He's going to bring about certain things upon the earth to try, I believe, to effect a change within people. If that doesn't work, and it seems as though as a whole, it doesn't work, then the Lord will amass evidence for judgment against people, against the world, the world system, against the, the rulers and the leaders of the world, and whatever else he's going to do. Now, I don't, as I go through these, and we will deal with the seven personages, I don't hold anything in particular in concrete set. Because, as I said last week, if things do not occur 
things do not develop the way we think or the way we thought or the way that someone taught, we don't want that to affect us to where, thank you, where we have a problem and we no longer want to serve the Lord and we want to give up and, and turn around and say, this isn't what I thought, this isn't how I thought it was going to be, and, and give up and say this Christianity isn't what, you know, and so on. So we don't want to hold to the things that we're not sure of because these things are not, <clears throat> a lot of the things in Revelation are not definitive at this time. Now, if we move closer and closer, as we do, I believe there will be those who will begin to see this, and there will be an unfolding of what's going on so that the people of God are aware and prepared. But until that takes place, we'll look at scriptures. I'll give you what I, I believe I'm seeing here, especially with some of the personages, <clears throat> and we'll just take that and file that. But don't be so stuck in something. For example, you know, the rapture happening pre-trib, as, as people believe, you know, or post or mid-trib, or trib-trib, who knows? I, I feel that when I'm looking at these things now, I'm at a disadvantage because I have never studied the book of Daniel because I know there's things in Daniel that relate to this. I, I know in chapter 7, but I don't have the time in one week to really do a, a kind of study that I like to do. So we'll, we'll go with what we see. But as I say, I want to emphasize this. Don't get so set in your mind in a certain view that you cannot receive something from the Lord's that may be different as it's coming out. You, know, you understand what I'm saying? Because I think that's, that's very important, very important. Because uh, I, I believe there's a lot of things that have been taught in the past and are being taught now that are not necessarily true and accurate. And, you know, I don't want to see anyone that's, here be thrown, you know, aside because of that. I just, and how many of you have ever seen someone who, you know, was a Christian and because things even in their personal life didn't go the way they thought, they, they walk away from God? How much more in the midst of all this that's going to be happening? Okay, so that's number two. Uh, number three, the third seal. There is a black horse, verse 5. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. Now we know what the balances are, right? And what they're used for. And I heard a vo voice in uh, the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see... See, thou hurt not the oil and the wine. So the, the black horse here deals with famine. And as I said, you can trace back, even in the Bible, but throughout earth history, there has always been, in certain areas of the world, famine. 
But this is going to be an amplification of that to where there will be famine everywhere, I believe. I mean, it's going to be very, very widespread. Um, you have the ESV? Could you read uh, verse 6 for me? Yes. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil. Okay. Uh, one translation said, I think it's the NIV, if I'm not mistaken, it said, A quart of wheat, wheat for a day's wages. A day's wages. So let's say this occurs 50 years from now. What's a day's wages? Be quite a bit. Maybe not our standard, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe uh, another country's standard. I don't know. But the point I believe that is trying to be made here is that the food is going to be so expensive because there's so little of it. A tremendous famine throughout the world. And, you know, I don't know how God is going to do this. It seems as though he opens the seal and he is implementing this. But what is the, me the method or the means he's going to do that? I don't know. Is he going to use the stupidity of, stupidity of man? Uh, you know, some uh, genetically modified food and that, you know, causes some worldwide famine. I mean, I don't know how, how this is going to work. But the point is that it's, it's going to happen. And I heard, it's, it's funny, you know, we read the Bible and we believe it. We may not understand it. We may not be able to see the, the little idiosyncrasies of what's going to happen, but we believe it. We know that it's true. And people in the world, I heard a, a fellow at work uh, about a month ago, and he was laughing. He must have got something uh, in the mail. And he was laughing. He said, I know what the four horsemen of the apocalypse are. And he's going on, you know, ridiculing and making fun. But, see, people that are in the world mainly do not believe God. They don't have faith in him, and they have no basis as far as the word of God in them to believe it. But we do, and we don't need to really understand how it's going to happen. We believe it's going to happen. Verse 7, this is number 4, pale horse. And I think that's like a light green uh, type of a color, if you're interested. <laughs> but the pale horse here will portray terror and disease, and it's also going to be dealing with death. This is going to be... The horse that is released dealing with, with death. Verse 7, And when he, he, he had opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed him. So that's, that's the, the message. That's what's going to happen, death. And power was given unto him over a fourth part of the earth, to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and with the beasts of the earth. So a quarter of the world's population is going to die in this particular seal here, this judgment. 
quite a few people, wouldn't you say? Uh, if you've ever studied uh, the bubonic plague, has anybody ever read anything on the bubonic plague? There was three outbreaks of the bubonic plague in, in Europe, three different centuries. And <coughs> the bubonic plague was one of the worst plagues ever to hit mankind. And a third of the population, in one of the outbreaks, a third of the population of Europe died. Third. And compare that to this, this is a quarter of the population of the world. Quite, quite a judgment. I would, I would suspect that people <coughs> will be in extreme fear and terror. Look what, look what happens with a simple flu. People panic. Everybody's got to go out and get a flu shot. The government's, oh, you know, this and that about the flu shot. And then they found out that very few people even got it. You know, but that's how people panic, especially in this country. In other countries, it's not as bad, I don't think. Well, maybe it is, but we don't see it. But a quarter of the population, that's quite something. The fifth are the souls under the altar. Now, that's in verse 9. And we had opened the fifth seal. I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. So did you read that? Whoever they are, saints of God, they're under the altar and I, I like this because when I read this, it seems to me that God is holding them in close proximity to himself. And this here is a spiritual position obtained by the word of God and the testimony that they held. Verse 10, and they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not have judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth. And I like this. And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So there's something there. What's it say in another part of scripture? It says about the death of the saints. Precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his saints. Wow. See, we don't think at all like God does. <laughs> at all. I, I pray and I say, Lord, put in me a steadfastness to walk with you. And if I have to experience any of these times where I have to go out that way, that I'll have what I need. Because you don't know. We don't know. You know, we go out in the world. You know, we go to our homes. We go, you know, to work. And we go wherever we go. And, and things seem to be fine. And, you know, the sun is shining like yesterday. And it was such a beautiful day. And it's like, ah, oh, this is, it's all, everything. It's not, things can change so quickly. Very quickly. And... My goal has always been to try to equip and prepare the saints. That they would 
desire the Lord and that they would desire the character of Christ being developed in them. <clears throat> and I teach that and move toward that all the time because I know that if the character of the Lord is developed in us, that no matter what comes down the road, no matter what we have to experience, that there is a basis now within us, a foundation, that we can make it and we can make it victoriously and no matter what it is, no matter what happens, that we'll be all right because of the work of God that he's done in us. And, you know, I'm not in, in interested in giving you information. I mean, that's okay. But there's more than that, you know, that you in your heart and your life would be stable in your walk with God and that you would not be tossed to and fro, back and forth, you know, this place, this place, that place, you know. But that you would be steady, consistent, and trusting God. He's put something in your heart. His word is down deep, deep, deep in your heart. And that holds you. Now, I remember several times, uh, come, come to mind right now, being on the mission field and being there in a position where it was just myself and God. And if he doesn't come through, I'm in trouble. Well, you think, oh, I would never want to be in that position. You, you have no idea. It is so incredible. At the time, you have, to, you have to settle your spirit and say, okay, Lord, you've put your word in me. You've put some of your character in me. And now I want to walk with you in this. You just show me what you're going to do. And it's amazing what God can do. I was placed in a position in Guatemala several times and put in the middle of the capital by myself, not knowing the language, in an area that was not, I won't say it was real dangerous, but it wasn't safe in that you didn't know how to communicate. You didn't know the intents of people. And there is, I mean, I don't know how to explain this. You get this eerie feeling, and you have to settle your spirit and say, I'm, I'm walking with you. I'm down here in your will, and that's it. I'm not going to be concerned about whatever comes my way. And the Spirit of God comes upon you, and he, he's just assures you that, he is there with you, and, and you can just walk on and, you know, whatever comes, <coughs> comes. And it's it's very, very, very good place to be. And I can't help to wonder that if we move into certain things in the future, in this country, in, in the world, we're going to have to walk with God a little different than we've been, so that our attention isn't on all this other stuff all the time. How many of you go home and every minute of the day you are aware that you are walking with him? We, we don't usually do that. Our heart's not that in tune with him because we're going about our daily chores and functions and what we're doing. But I remember many times on the mission field to where Every single thing that I did, every place that I was, 
in contact with whomever. I always had this spiritual alertness, maybe a way to say it. You know, waiting, listening, uh, trying to hear what God's saying, you know, if he's saying anything at that time, where he's leading, what he once said, what he once done. And, and the Lord can kind of sharpen us so that we become more alert. And when we come here, we come to church, we should ask him to develop that in us so that we would be more aware of him. But in the times that come, we might be moved into that, not even thinking about it. You know what I'm saying? We might be just, and then now we're aware. Has anybody here ever been in a position where they thought their life was threatened because they were a Christian? I don't want to tell you these are good places because you won't believe me. <laughs> it's just little things that you experience. Not that I have you know, experienced that to the degree that some people have, but I have experienced it to a little degree. And we, we find out how our faith is, you know, when something comes upon us. I was, uh, I was stuck down another time down in Guatemala, and the fellow I went with and another minister, they had to go elsewhere. One had to get a car. One had to get, do something else. He was trying to find a bag that was lost. And they, they left me, okay, I don't know the language. They left me with all the bags that we had out in the airport past the, the exit before you get outside. And right outside, these people, they'll come and they'll grab your bags and they run with them. And so I'm standing there and just watching them. You, know, you can't take your eye off them for a minute and watching and watching and watching. And then I turn around, and there's this guard standing behind me looking at me with a gun like, what are you doing? It's like, I can't communicate. I can't say anything to the guy. If he even asked me something, I can't say anything. It's like, I sat down. <laughs> I said, Lord, I'm here. I didn't know what was going to happen. I was you know, new on the mission field. I didn't know what was going to happen. And there I am sitting there. It seemed like eternity. It was only two or three hours, but it seemed like eternity. And I had to settle my spirit and say, Lord, I'm here. It's good. You know, when you go to the mission field, it's like you listen to the radio station. And you, the fourth caller, we're going to send them to Haiti is on a missionary trip. I'm thinking, they have no clue what in the world they're doing. I want to know it's the will of God for me to go. So, you know, when somebody asks me, okay, well, it depends on who it is. Most of the time, if it's somebody above you, they know you're to go. But I like the Lord for me to show me, okay, Lord, show me that you want me to go down here. Now, when I know it's his will, that's a different story. And whatever, whatever, it doesn't matter. And, and that, that happened to me several times down there, and then I just got, you know, used to it. It's like, okay, whatever. Don't worry about it. But we can move into a situation where we will be threatened. Where is our faith then? Will we trust him then? 
these here, the souls under the altar, they trusted God to the end. They were killed for their faith. Now, most likely, we won't be killed for our faith. Maybe some will, but most, most likely, if things remain the way they are here in, in our country, that's not going to occur. But as I said before, we don't know where things are headed. And most of the time, they just take people and throw them in prison or concentration camp. You know. is, that, is that the easier way out? I don't know. We were watching uh, Corey Ten Boom last night. What's the name of that movie? Hiding Place, yes. It's what she went through, Second World War, German concentration camp, quite a bit for her faith. Tested her faith. Well, the Lord will test our faith where we are in our situation. Why does he do that? Well, how can he test you in something further if you can't even pass the small little thing? See, so that's, that's a, a stepping stone that qualifies you for something else. And these things are very, very, very good. Strength of character will never be realized without some factor, something to endure. I mean, you might have to endure your own, your own circumstance, and just by doing that, he's developing something in you, just enduring where you are. And we all have something to endure, don't we? Yes, we do. So here we go. We'll look at the next seal. Six. I'm not trying to discourage you by what I'm saying. I'm trying to prepare you because we do not know what's going to happen. I could teach all these, you know, sermons and teachings on all this, the blessings and all that, and that's all okay. We know that. But how is that going to prepare you if difficult times come or more difficult times come? How's that going to prepare you? How are you going to be ready if you have not had teaching showing you that you need to endure, you need to have your faith tried, and, and all that? So these things are extremely important. They are building blocks placed in your heart and life that the Lord can begin to build something upon so that if, by some chance, something occurs, that you will have something there now that to, you can draw upon. Verse 12. And I beheld when it opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun, sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. Now, I'll tell you what. Seeing something like that would be quite unnerving, wouldn't it? And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled, rolled together, and every mountain island were moved out of its place, places. So it seems to me that God is going to shake. He's going to shake. And there's a scripture uh, is it in Peter? It says that one, once more God is going to shake, and I'll, I'll just like kind of paraphrase it. 
so that what cannot be shaken will remain. So God begins this process of shaking with us. And he'll give us maybe some responsibility. Okay, and then you're in the church and there's a responsibility to give to you. And then, you know, you say, oh, I can't handle this. And you start to kind of, you know, you're shaking. <laughs> and then finally you rest in God and you trust him and he gives you what you need. And he settles you so that now that doesn't shake you anymore. And then something else may come along and you may be a little shaken with that. And then you, you move in that. Well, here God is going to do a tremendous shaking. That there's going to be an earthquake. The sun is going to be blackened. I don't know what exactly that means. Uh, something's going to happen with the sun. It's not going to be uh, shining in its full strength. Uh, the moon is going to be as blood. It probably means it's going to turn red for some reason. And the stars fall unto the earth. Meteors, I imagine. Whatever that is. But it's going to be fearful in particular to those who do not know the Lord. See, you who have this great advantage, you know Jesus. Things shouldn't move you. I mean, I know we're moved. Things move us. But they will not move us to the point of total collapse. And we might just get a little shaky you know, okay, now we're okay. We're all right. Let's move on, Lord. And the seventh is seen in chapter 8, verse 1. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of a half an hour. So we talked about that last week. That's the silence or the pause or the break between great tribulation and the wrath of God. That, that's how the Lord's dividing that up in the scripture for us, I believe. He's showing us that there is a pause now from this point on, when the wrath of God begins, everything is going to be tremendously amplified as far as God's judgment and wrath, like has never been before upon the earth. Okay, now, these were the seven seals. Are there any questions to this point? Okay. The next, we're going to turn to chapter 12. And we're just going to write the scriptures, and then we're going to come back and, and read some of them uh, and look at this in, in an overview type of a way. Uh, this is dealing with the seven personages. Has anybody ever heard of the seven personages? No, and all that means is seven persons, individuals, whomever. Okay, the first one, put it over here. Um, that's 12, 1 and 2. Change oh, my writing here. Woman. In verses 1 and 2, the first one we see here, uh, is the woman clothed with the sun. And this is a sign or a wonder, however you want to say that. And her garments here are radiant. 
Turn to Revelation 1, verse 16. And now this is John describing who he sees when he turns around. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. So he's talking there about Jesus. And we're seeing here this woman clothed with the sun, and that's, I believe, talking about her garments being radiant. And she is similar to as Jesus is seen here in chapter 1. Now turn to Song of Solomon. Song, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon chapter 6, and look at the similarity here. Verse 10, and this, the beloved here is speaking about his betrothed. And he says, Who is she that looketh forth as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun? See, so you see that. And he's, the beloved here is a type in Song of Solomon of Christ. And the betrothed is a type of the bride of Christ. That's what's going on here basically in the book. And so he says, in, when he sees her, his betrothed, he says, Who is she that looketh forth as the, as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun? The same type of terminology. So in this first one here, I believe it's speaking of the church. And, and we're going to look at that in a minute. So let me just go through them. Okay, the second one personage is in chapter 12, verses 3 and 4, and that is the red dragon. Or, or another word would be serpent, the same word we see in Genesis. Uh, now let's read, I didn't want to read these yet, but I wanted to show you something related to this in chapter 17. In just one verse here. In verse 3, it talks about the red dragon having ten horns. When you turn, turn to Revelation 17, verse 10, and there are seven kings, five are fallen, and one is, and the other is not yet come, and when he cometh he must continue a short space. Verse 12, and the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings which have, no, have, have received no kingdom as yet. So the ten horns refer to ten kings or ten kingdoms. See, this is talking about what is full and complete, full and complete power that's going to be you know, given forth from the dragon. And the dragon here is talking about Satan, the red dragon. Okay, the third, I guess it's okay if I just, these are all chapter, so far, chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. I'll just go like this, verse 5 and 6. You have the man-child. The fourth is verse 7 through 12. And that is the archangel. 
the fifth uh, is 13, verse 13 through 17. That's the Jewish remnant or the church. It could be, it could be the church. It could be the church in the form of the Jewish remnant. You, you know that um, I don't have the scripture. Maybe I do. Wait a second here. There is a scripture in the New Testament that um, talks about Christ being, geez, I can't remember how it goes, but it, it mentions the church in the wilderness is the phrase, the church in the wilderness. Jesus Christ, you know, was there with them, following them. But the church is just not a New Testament thing. We usually think of it, it as a New Testament thing, but in, I think it's in Hebrews. It talks about the church in the wilderness, so obviously they were part, God considers them part. So this can be the church, it could be the church in the form of the Jewish remnant. I, I'm not sure on that. Okay, the next is, is, um, is chapter 13, verses 1 through 10. And that's the beast out of the sea. The sea, the sea refers to, we'll get to this in a minute, but that which is unstable. Uh, out of unstable or troubled times, the beast is going to arise. Uh, and then the seventh is also chapter 13, verses 11 to 17, 11 through 18. And that's the beast out of the earth. Now what I want to do is go back and read these scriptures here and just comment on some of the things that we're seeing. These, they call these the seven personages uh, of, of chapter eleven, thir um, chapter twelve and thirteen, in Revelation. Uh, in chapter twelve, verse one and two, and we looked at that. You have the woman clothed with a sun, and I believe this is the view of the church, um, including all those that carry the glory of God, whoever they may be. The woman clothed with the sun, the glory, the brightness you know, the radiance, the, you know, the glory, clothed with the sun. And as you read through these, these verses, it becomes clearer why this is referring to the church. So shall we read? Okay. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. Um, here, here's the verse. Okay, Acts, I didn't think I had it. Acts 7.38 says, This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel, which spoke to him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received 
the lively oracles to give unto us. So that, that's the verse, uh, 738, the church in the wilderness. Okay, verse 3. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns. We just looked at the horns in chapter 17. And seven crowns upon his heads. Now, this is the view of Satan, who is in a quest for control. He's always been such, but even so more now in this setting, he is going to make the tribulation what it is. He is going to, to use all of his powers. He's going to use mankind to bring about great tribulation and stress upon the world in a bid to take over or to have ultimate control. That's what he's after, as much control as he can possibly get. Uh, verse 4, And his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to earth. So, you remember, turn to Ezekiel. I want to read that from the ESV. Verse 4, I believe, is talking about when Satan was in this exalted position and he is taken, thrown out of, out of heaven. Now, remember this. When we're reading chapter 12, don't get it in your mind that this is talking about one specific time. John is seeing this, and he's relating this and this and this, and he's seeing things in spirit. But there is no time. He, if you want to relate it to time, you'll go back and forth in, in this chapter. You'll see he'll come up to where you know, the, the dragon is. Then he goes back to where he was, and he fell from that position. Then you go back. We'll see. He'll go to the time of Christ. Then he goes back to another verse. He's going to another time. So it's not so much related to time as he's trying to paint this broad picture of what's going to happen and how things are going to move down along the line to the beast of the, of the uh, sea and the beast of the earth. So in verse 4, And his tail drew a third part of the stars. He's talking about the fallen angels that he took with him from heaven. Ezekiel 28, verse 14. Okay, I had to get my spot here. Okay. And you were an anointed guardian cherubim. I placed, placed you, you were on the holy mount of God in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till righteousness was found in you. Unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as prof a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherubim, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. Your corrupt, you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities in the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. So I bought fire out from, brought fire out from your midst, 
It consumes you, and it goes on and on. And I believe... Now, if you look at the context of this chapter, he's talking about the king of Tyre. But as you progress in the chapter, down to verse 14, it's apparent that he's talking about more than this king. He's, he's relating that to what happened with, with Satan here. He was, he was lifted up in pride, and he was cast out. So when we come back here in chapter 4, and his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman. Now we're back to the woman now, the, the, the woman clothed with the sun, which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. So he's going to try to kill her child. Who is the child he's talking about? Who is the man child? So she brought forth a man child, verse 5 who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Who's that talking about? Christ, Jesus Christ. See, so the, the church, he's, he's talking about now what happened, what we see in, in Bethlehem, where Mary gave birth to Jesus. Well, the, the dragon was going to try to kill Christ. And we know of two instances uh, before he was born, uh, they tried to have all the, the children killed. Or was it the children? That was after, I believe. That was after. Um, but there was a, the point is that the enemy, the dragon, was trying to have Jesus killed whenever she, whenever she brought him forth. So she brought forth a man-child, Christ, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up, to, uh, unto God, to his throne. See, now in that verse, it covers the, the birth of Christ and his ascension. All the way through, the resurrection, all that. To the ascension, all in that one verse. That's why I'm saying it's not just limited to one aspect of time. He's showing you a whole thing. It's a spiritual thing he's just stringing out here for you. So verse 5 is talking about Christ who was to rule over the nations, the man-child. And he was caught up unto God and to his throne, the ascension. Okay, verse 7. And there was war in heaven, Michael, the archangel, and his angels fought against the dragon. Now that, that there tells you right away who the dragon is. See, verse 2, you might not have put it together. Who's the red dragon? But now when you come down here and he's talking about the dragon, now you know he was in a position in heaven. So now you know he's talking about Satan. And the dragon fought with his angels and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. So he's, he's cast out. And the great dragon was cast out. Now he spells it out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So he defeats him, and he casts him out. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of the brethren is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. Now, what's an example of the accuser of the brethren in the scripture. 
what book do we see in the Bible where we see Satan accusing man before God's throne? Job. Job. Verse 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the (coughs) inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. So now he's talking about Satan was cast out to the earth. Now all that we've experienced here since the beginning now is the short time in, in here that we're seeing in this, this verse. The short time from Genesis till now is called a short time. It's like a short time. Now a short time to me is maybe 10 minutes. A short time to God is 6,000 some years. So we don't relate to things how God does. We don't see things how God does. That's why we can't get too set in what we think and believe as far as the things that we don't know. We just, we just can't. If we do, we can get in trouble. So you see, are you seeing this, how this is not just dealing with one time frame? It's just spread out there. Okay. Now we'll go to verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth a man child. Now who's that? Who's the devil persecuting today? The church. Every, Every person that has called upon the Lord or knows the Lord or knows, you know, the Father, all of those are those are the ones he's out to persecute and to trip up and to put plant thoughts in their mind that, you know, anything he can do to get a person angry, upset with God, and walk, walk away from God, get mad at whomever, you know, this person, these leaders, and, you know, leave the church and walk back into their old life and all that. Whatever he can do. See, he, he comes down with great wrath. Because he knows his time is short. So he's going to try to, you know, he, I don't think the devil is really all that smart. He, he, he's pretty dumb, actually. I mean, he, can he read? I don't know. I would think he can read because he quoted scriptures to Jesus in the wilderness. But how stupid is he? He still continues in this path, and he knows how, how it's going to turn out. But he can't do anything about it. And he said, well, oh, I see this, so I'll go this way and do this. And God said, it's all going to come back to this over here anyway. <laughs> so you think he would give it up. You know, maybe I won't be punished as much. There, there is no such thing in him for some reason. Because of uh, what is in him, he cannot let it go. Have you ever heard a person say that? You know? I cannot let it go. It bothers me so much, I cannot let it go. Where does that come from? Pray tell me. (laughs) Well, if you do that and you say that, you need to say, okay, Lord, I surrender to you. You know, if you work in my life, I'll let it go. (laughs) And he will. 
But see, he can't let it go. So if we can't let certain things go, if we hold a grudge, you know, we hate someone or whatever it may be, then there is something of him in us. That's why the Lord says the things he says, and he wants those, those things he says in the scriptures out of us. He persecuted the woman which brought forth the man child. Verse 14. And to the woman were given two wings of... This is, this is really wonderful. It was given to her two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished. Now this is why I say when we read this uh, that this is most likely talking about the church in the form of the remnant of Israel. Because it says here that, now of, of course, this would apply also to us where he has given us the eagle's wings to fly above that which the, the, the tempter wants to tempt us with and bring us down. But he goes on and he says, where she is nourished for a time and times and a half a time from the face of the serpent. And, and most uh, translators and theologians, they believe this is talking about a period of the tribulation. Times, times, and a half time, meaning three and a half years. And that can be seen elsewhere also. There's another, another place where it talks about that. Verse 15. And the serpent cast out, out of his mouth water as, as a f flood after the woman. Now, I'll just interject this. I have I'm, I'm no, uh, <laughs> no one. I, I don't know what these things mean. But the thought that came to me when I was reading this is that it's typical of Satan to bring about persecution upon believers. You know, he does that. That's one of the main sources of, of his um, uh, trying to thwart what their, their walk, to bring persecution upon them. And, and this may be an intensification of persecution, possibly. Uh, that may, he may cause her to be carried away with the flood, with the persecution, you know, with, with the trouble. And it says, and the earth helped the woman. So just like we saw in that, the movie, The Hiding Place, there were those there that helped hide the Jews from the flood of persecution from the Germans. And when it says here, the earth, it may be, there may be some in the earth that will be sympathetic to them and will swallow up that, so to speak, like it says. Uh, the dragon was wroth with the woman, oh, or let's finish that, and, and the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened up her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which kept the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So that's the, um, I believe, the, the Jewish remnant, the church in the, that form. Um, now we'll move down to chapter 13. 
Now, I'm going to read this. We're going to read most of this, if not all, this chapter, and we'll just comment quickly because we're going to close soon. This is dealing, first of all, with, with the beast uh, from the sea. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea. Now, I want to stop there. The sea there refers to mankind. Mankind, when you see the sea and water, sometimes uh, it's referring to mankind. Turn, hold your place there and turn to Revelation 17, verse 1. And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. See, now he's using that term there. He's using waters. She's sitting upon many waters. And then later on in the, in the chapter, you see what the waters are. Verse 15. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So the beast here that rises up out of the sea is meaning that he's going to rise up out of the multitudes, out of you know, the, the people, the, the masses. He's going to rise up among them <clears throat> or out of them. He's going to be a, a person, an individual. Having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his head the name of blasphemy. <clears throat> so he's going to, to arise here with, this is speaking of great authority. He's going to have that. Verse 2. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power. Now who's the dragon? <clears throat> Satan. He's going to give the beast of the sea his power and his seat and great authority. So he's going to, going to have great power and great authority. Underlying is the, the one who is there to give him that, Satan. He's going to give this beast. And most believe that the beast he's talking about here is the Antichrist. Okay? Verse 3. And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wandered after the beast. So there is some future event culminating in the world worshiping the beast of the sea when this happens. Verse 4, and they worshiped the dragon, which, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And it goes on down, um, verse 7. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. So he makes war, war with the sanctified ones, the set-apart ones, and he overcomes them. And power was given him over all kindreds, and tongues and nations, and all that dwelt upon the earth shall worship him. That's quite something. Whose names are not written in the book of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So there is compelling worship 
from the unsaved. Not from those who know the Lord, from those who do not know that, that what he does, his power, his authority, and that which he's going to do is going to command their worship. And they're going to give freely give him their worship because the whole world lies in wickedness and the deception from the deceiver, Satan, will have worked its way into every single corner, every single person in, in their heart. And so they will be deceived. The, the tremendous deception, now not having uh, that which can reveal to people what this is. Maybe they, they won't want to hear it. Maybe they don't believe it. You know, you tell people about things in the Bible now, they don't believe it, right? A lot of times they say, I don't believe that stuff. You mean to tell me you believe that? Yeah, I do. How much more if some, well, you know, how, have you ever heard, even recently, people make fun of this 666 thing, the mark of the beast? Yeah, I hear that sometimes. They think it's a big joke. It's a fairy tale. You know, it's just, you know, uh, it's just somebody, the Bible's trying to, you know, scare you. Well, if we're ever moving toward that at any point, it's now. Now they have the technology to put something in your skin called a little computer chip. They're doing it in dogs. And I heard uh, a thing that I can't remember what Rockefeller was, which one it was. It said, I, I want to chip every person in the United States. That was what he said. They wanted to start with credit cards and he wants to chip them, chip them. In, in their body. That's what he is. He's got the money, too. So I'm just, just pointing that out that I heard that. But anyway, <laughs> that's why I say we don't know what's going to happen. We need to prepare our hearts. We might not experience this, but we want to be prepared if some of this start, stuff starts coming. And we as Christians want to stick together close close. None of the, I, I think that, see, denominations divide. They've always divided people. You know, you believe this, I believe this is a little different. You know, if some of these things start to occur, it's going to break the, the whole boundaries of denominations because it's not going to matter what church a person goes to. Well, I... I can't accept that glass of water from you, brother, because I'm from a full gospel church. What in the world does that have to do with anything? See, that's division. Denominations divide. But Jesus doesn't. And another thing, and I'll just say this, having the Spirit of God in you, the fullness of the Spirit is going to be extremely important if things start happening for various reasons. Okay, let's move on. Verse 9, if any man have an, hath an ear, let him hear. Uh, verse 10, and we'll skip that. Now, in verse 11, you move into something else here. Um, and I wanted to actually stop here for a few minutes and just talk about this. There are those that believe 
in a literal antichrist. There are those who believe that it's not, he's not going to be a literal antichrist, it's going to be the spirit of antichrist. Well, antichrist is mentioned four times in the Bible, and it's mentioned all in the writings of John. John mentions antichrist in the singular, and he also mentions antichrists in the plural, being that there are many antichrists in his time, and we can say the same today. There are many antichrists today. Um, 1 John 2, 22, Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. So he's saying that, that they are against or set against Christ. That, that is, that's not meaning an individual. That means whoever doesn't believe is antichrist. And then you have two scriptures in Matthew. Look in Matthew 24. I know this is a lot of, a lot of verses tonight, but verse 5. For many shall come in my name and saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. Verse 24. And there shall arise false Christs, false prophets, and shall, shall show great signs and wonders. It's talking about miracles and signs. Inasmuch that if it were possible, they should deceive the very elect. But it's not going to be possible. Those who are walking with God are going to see right through that. And they, I mean, hopefully. And then um, in 2 John 7, it says, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. He is a deceiver and an antichrist. But look in 1 John, just hold your place in Revelation, 1 John 4, 3. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. So the spirit of Antichrist, we know, is in the world. But I believe someday that spirit is going to be concentrated on a single leader. It's from what I say. Now, if... If, it's, if that doesn't occur and it's just the spirit of Antichrist, fine. I'm just showing you both aspects. I personally believe, and it seems to me that the scripture uh, says that. Now turn to 2 Thessalonians. <laughs> 2 Thessalonians, verse 3. And in this verse you can see the embodiment of opposition to Christ. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there be a falling away first, and that the man, singular, of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Now, it seems to me that he's talking about an individual that will be the embodiment of the spirit of Antichrist, and he is going to be the son of perdition. He's going to be as we're seeing in Revelation, his, the power of the dragon is going to be given to him. See? The man of sin. Who opposes and exalted himself, above, exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. I don't think the spirit of Antichrist can do that. 
I think it's, I think it's an individual, seems to me. It's talking about an individual. The man of sin. Okay? Um, let's see here. Verse 8. And then shall the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume. How does that read in the ESV? Second Thessalonians 2, are you there? Okay. Maybe I can get it here real quick. Um, 2 8, the beginning. Okay, the lawless one. And, and King James says, Then shall that l- wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan. It seems to me it's the same terminology that we're seeing back in Revelation here. Who is, whose coming is after the working of Satan. So Satan's going to give him his power with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. So you have the beast out of the sea. Now turn to Daniel. Okay, Daniel, excuse me, 7... 25. Okay, I want to read this from the ESV. Maybe it'll make it a little clearer here rather than the King James. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. And where do we just read that? In Revelation. You see, it seems as though that there's, a, there's an overlap here from J- Daniel 7 uh, in, in Revelation there. And then in Daniel 8, 25, by his cunning he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning he shall destroy many, and he he shall even rise up against the princes, the prince of princes, and he shall be broken, but by no human hand. So it seems as though those fit together. And then in Daniel 12, 4, he tells him this. He says, But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book even to the time of the end. You know, it wasn't for him then and there. He says, seal it up for the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. So he's he's talking about the end, and then he brings in this thought about running to and fro, um, and that knowledge would increase. And we have seen in the last 25 years, knowledge increase because of the computer, mainly increase of, of, of knowledge. And the running to and fro may very well indicate how quickly people can move from point to point. I mean, we don't 
walk. We don't uh, use a wagon or a horse anymore like they did. And a car, you know, all the mo a plane, a train, running to and fro. So it seems as though it's talking about now, this age that we're in. Okay, back to Revelation in closing. Chapter 12, or excuse me, chapter 13, <coughs> verse 11. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake like as a dragon. Now, look at the similarities here. Once again, you see the characteristic of Satan in this individual, just like with the, uh, the beast from, from the sea, the Antichrist. Now you see from the, the beast from the earth, it says that he spoke like as a dragon. He, that's a, a, a characteristic of Satan that he's going to be displaying there. Now, the beast of the earth, most believe that this is talking about the false prophet. So the first beast, the Antichrist, the second beast here, uh, the false prophet. And as I said before, I'm not cemented into any of this. So, okay. He came out of the earth, etc. Okay, verse 12. And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causes the earth and them that dwell there, therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So he compels worship, commands worship of the first beast. His prophesying, if you want to call it that, for the, the, the enemy, Satan, is going to be to, to worship the beast and to worship the dragon. He's going to point, just like a prophet's pointed to Christ, he is going to point to Satan. He's going to point to the first beast. Beast. Verse 13. Now this is quite something. You know, if, if we as Christians are caught up, and there have been those in the past, I, I have, have remember, I remember certain churches and certain groups, that were all caught up in miracles. And that's all they wanted. That's all they wanted to just go from place to place, state to state, to all the miracle workers, the healers, the, you know, all that. Now, I'm not saying anything negative about healing. I believe in healing. But if that's our focus, if that's the Christian's focus, then they are going to be more apt to be deceived when they see a lying wonder. Or a miracle, if that's what you know they're looking for. See, I'm not looking for that. I look for Jesus. Verse 13. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven. Wow, that's quite something. He's going to be able to, he's gonna have so much power and authority, he's going to be able to call fire down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth. Now this is, this is the reason why he's doing this. This is the, the, the core of, of why he's doing what he's doing. That they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. 
And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many that would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So miracles follow this individual and authority to kill those he, he cannot control. Those he cannot control, he will kill. That's why I said before that Satan is interested in control. And those that come out from him, the beast of the sea and the beast of the earth, are going to be interested in that very thing, control. And those he cannot control, he's going to kill. Verse 16. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, that no man might buy or sell unless he has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So what we're seeing here is total absolute control. Those he can control, he's going to control it with the mark, whatever that is, the mark as, as it says here, uh, on the, the right hand or the forehead. And, and those that surrender to that, he will who have full control over them. Those who don't, we know what's going to happen. Here is wisdom, let him... Him that hath understanding, count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and six. So you can see here that, that Satan has always had this particular thought, and that's to control man. And he's always looked for some vessel or some way to do that. And he has had individuals in the past that he could use. Uh, you can go back in, in Babylonian times and Roman time uh, and time of the Greeks. And there always seems to be someone who arises. Napoleon, one of world domination, Hitler. Whoever he could get to try to subvert and to, to actually get control of people uh, and, and hold them down and under, he would use. But that was always limited to geography because there was never the communication. There was never, uh, the, the whole world was not tied in together. You had people here and there and pockets there. But we're moving now with the advent of electricity and the computer and, and all that, the technology, to where man now is being all, they're all being funneled together. It's just like this one world system, the one world government, the one world religion. Everything is, is moving in that way so that when the man of sin comes on the scene, he will be able to exercise control over the masses like never before. That's why it's going to be so difficult for those who don't accept the mark. That, that's why people will do it, because they're not going to have much of a choice. It's either you do or you die. Well, well, you give me that choice, then what choice is there? 
Well, for the person who doesn't know Christ, I guess it doesn't matter. That's the choice. But to those who know him, there is a choice. And we'll have to make that choice. We have to make that choice now. I'm not saying that we're going to be in that. I'm just saying that we make the choices now. And those choices will have eternal consequences, be it good. You know, you choose for Christ, good consequences. Okay, now we went through a lot, and as I said, this was an overview of these chapters. Do we have any questions? No? Rivers of living water.